Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Uh, thank you to so many of our listeners. Uh, never believed that we would reach an, an international level uh, to be able to disseminate our collective knowledge uh, about mental health. And the goal there, Julie, is with the water, so she knows she's back today. Um, in destigmatizing mental health, legitimizing it, and, and trying to maybe... Um, clean up some of the controversy uh, associated with a variety of different topics. But uh, I, I, I've, <coughs> excuse me, I'm still, my voice, think, voice I think is coming back, but I'm still recovering from whatever cold or something, whatever Julie and I had. Um, so uh, I found, so this is not what we're going to talk about today, but I, but I found this, um, Somewhere I don't know where I found it, but I, I've talked to a lot of people uh, about narcissistic personality disorder, people who are in relationships with narcissists, and I just want to share this, um, I guess this quote with you. So uh, it says, one fact about narcissists, they will tell other lies about, they will tell others lies about you, lies about your character and about your family members. They will sigh and say things like, "Well, I'm so sorry. You know, you know how it. You know how she is. She's very negative." Or, "Well, you know, I really tried with her, but she's so frustrating. I really hope she gets the help she needs." Or, "You know what? She didn't want our family anymore. She filed for divorce. She abandoned us and doesn't see us." In reality, these individuals are reframing events and making themselves appear as the healthy person or even a victim. They will completely twist events, things said, and rewrite history to suit themselves in their own agenda. I thought it was really apropos to kind of bring that up because of the conversations I've had with people. Um, I think I did an episode on narcissism. Definitely can... Uh, revisit that topic but that quote really shows the the vapid personality of a narcissist accepting no responsibility and definitely playing the victim role um their ego is so inflated but it is so um what's the word so so fragile and almost somewhat non-existent um these individuals have no soul sometimes and they don't care who they hurt, um, whether it's their own family, their own children, their spouses. Um, it's all about being self-serving. So, again, just wanted to sh share that quote. Uh, and to totally flip topics, we're going to revisit attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, Julie and I, you know, we're at dinner the other night. We talking about uh, Friday night is our <coughs> date night. Um, so we were talking about uh, ADHD and and I've I've shared this you know with, with other colleagues prescribers as well and I would say based on the amount of neuropsychiatrics that I have done and do a probably one if maybe one to two people out of ten that I test who think they have a diagnosis of ADHD actually do not. And this is why it is so crucial that if you think you have or that you think your child has um, an attention deficit hyperactivity disorders uh, disorder, remember there's three types. There's the inattentive type, 
which can really only be picked up through neuropsych testing. There's the hyperactive type, which is marked by what's called hyperconnectivity or, or, or motor disturbances. And the combined type, where you have inattention and hyperactivity co-occurring together, that tends to be the most severe. And the latter two types, hyperacti- the hyperactive type and the combined type, are generally uh, precursors to behavioral disorders like opposite defiant disorder, conduct disorder, disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. But there's so many people that I test and I tell them and I show them you, you have to test the attentional systems, not based on self-report. And I've seen enough people to be frustrated with how many people are being treated for ADHD that don't have it. You test simple attention, sustained attention, complex attention, uh, executive functions, cognitive flexibility, but the attentional systems in and of themselves should actually be tested, and we have the actual tests to actually assess the attentional systems. And if ADHD is there, it it comes up because you can, I, I can't tell you how many people that bring rating scales in that I don't even look at. I'll use a rating scale when I think it's appropriate, but if you, what's interesting, you'll see there's a very difference between the objective test data and the subjective report. And I tell people, I am not discounting that you are, are experiencing attentional problems. I'm simply saying there is no data to support that is coming from something from a neurological, neurodevelopmental perspective. And it makes sense to them, and they will report symptoms even after being in treatment. Depression and anxiety and bipolarity being probably the three most common that are going to dysregulate attention. Depressed people don't pay attention. Anxious people have a hard time paying attention. People with bipolarity where you have mood lability, mood dysregulation, have attentional problems, but that doesn't mean it's ADHD. Now, in the United States, there's this national shortage of Adderall, um, because people have popped up, you know, all these different websites and online prescribing programs, which I think are, you know, probably going to go by the wayside, capitalizing on, on telehealth. But, you know, as as I was, you know, Jill and I were talking because she she treats a lot of ADHD, and I and I tell her, hey, this person doesn't have it. Um, but yet they will still present and complain of symptoms and of problems that sound like ADHD. So I'm going to let Julie jump on and see what her, what her perspective is because we do differ with this because she does struggle with patients who have been tested, who don't have a diagnosis of ADHD. They may have a diagnosis of a processing speed disorder, which is totally separate in and of itself. And processing speed has nothing to do with being slow. It's really intake, mental manipulation, output, both visual and auditory. And it can manifest as something being more problematic when information is presented quickly, information is more abstract or nebulous. There's a decrease or there's an increase in distractors in the environment. There's more stuff going on. And or when someone is required to generate a quick response. And in those situations, people with processing speed disorders can become easily overwhelmed and experience a proliferation in effective symptoms of anxiety, of depression, (coughs) even low frustration tolerance and irritability. And a lot of times when I explain this to people, kind of give them the feedback and, you know, just doing this as long as I have, I'm usually able... um, 
you know, exception to some things, but for the vast majority, when someone leaves, it takes a while to write these reports because I take a lot of pride in in the length and and the integrity of of, of, of writing extensive evals. Um, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 pages I've mentioned in, in, in previous episodes. Uh, it, it's a lot of work, but, you know, it, it, it's data-driven. Uh, so there's, a, there's a, a huge discrepancy between subjective reports and objective data. Enough for me to say that there are probably fewer cases of ADHD out there than really exist. Not discounting that ADHD is not an, a legitimate diagnosis, but definitely you want to get tested uh, before you're put on a stimulant, before you're put on a medication. And you also want to rule out if there is, that's why it's so important to do a combined evaluation because you always want to assess is there an underlying mood component, uh, whether that's major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety, bipolarity schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, OCD, because just being on a stimulant, and Julie could talk more about this, can have a, a paradoxical effect and actually exacerbates uh, negative affective symptoms. So I'm going to let Julie kind of jump on and share you know, her perspective, but I'm just coming from a place of, of, of frustration in, in, in the amount of people that I, that complain about ADHD that that do not have it, and and the need for assessment to really clarify to determine with specificity um, what that diagnostic picture is. So here's Julie. Hi everyone, missed you. Uh, thank you for your patience and thank you for missing me. I appreciate those comments a lot. Um, I am in the middle of cooking, but um, I've put everything on pause. Uh, we're having a family dinner tonight, which is my happy space, as you know. Um, so Cora's talking about um, ADHD, um, the three different types. Um, I don't need to repeat them, but I will. But uh, So it's the ADHD inattentive, ADHD hyperactive, and ADHD combined. Um, People use the term ADD a lot, but I don't think it exists, but that's just me. Um, I think there are definitely um, some things to chat about with regard to treating ADHD. Um, right now, there is a national shortage of Adderall, which I was going to talk about. Um, so that's just, um, I you know, I don't need to get into the ideology of it, but um, there is a, a, a very... Um, more than normal usually and I think I've mentioned this before is if you take Adderall um, you know I always say you know beginning of school midterms and finals is usually when there there's a bit of a drought in certain areas um, so having said that I do want to talk a little bit about um, working with people who have been diagnosed with ADHD um, I mostly treat the inattentive type. Um, I I find myself more often than not getting these patients with just ADHD inattentive, and I and I really and I posted something on our Instagram account um, by Mel Robbins who had just been diagnosed at age forty seven with ADHD for the first time, the inattentive type. You know there are a lot of uh, the mood component is always the most important. 
um, mood. It's a tertiary process where you have mood, um, whether it's anxiety, depression, or bipolar. Um, certainly you want to treat the mood first before you treat the ADHD because the stimulants can be very disruptive in the mood stability process and can exacerbate mood symptoms. So it's ideal to get a, a full neuropsych eval. I find them invaluable in, in, on so many levels, but this certainly is um, one of the cases. And I know a lot of my colleagues, um, you know, get a little, they struggle with this just like I do when people come, you know, to us and say, I, I have ADHD. And sometimes they don't, um, you know, when they have testing done, sometimes they don't. There's a lot of crossover in like, um, like when Core was talking about when people have depression, um, you know, what is it? It's not a chicken and egg situation or a catch 22 situation, but um, when people are depressed, they have a very uh, difficult time focusing and engaging and being productive. I mean, if they're really, really if they meet the criteria for major depression there, whether it's mild, moderate, or severe, um, you know, mild, maybe not so much, but um, when it comes to depression, the attentional systems are totally, they ha- they are always in play. Um, people lose interest, in, lose interest in, um, in things they used to like to do. Um, there's a fogginess with depression. Um, and then the low mood with low motivations, um, the motivational factor is, is, you know, paramount to an ADHD diagnosis. Sometimes, um, it's hard for people to, uh, motivate. Um, if I don't forget before the end of this, I'm going to talk about procrastination, um, kind of disguised, uh, the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicole Lapera, who I love, um, she is just Really, I, I can't say enough about her perspective and her articulation and the depth that she goes in to discussing complex trauma. Um, oh, thank you. I am going to read this. Thank you, Cor. So she posted this, I think, a week ago. If you procrastinate, it's not because you're lazy. It's because your body is in a threat state. It goes on to say, you have things do, um, you have things do for work. Dishes are piling up in the sink. Grocery shopping needs to get done. And you promised that you'd start that new workout routine. We've all been there. You're sitting on your phone, scrolling, lost in a cycle of thoughts about all that needs to get done. If you start self-shaming, why can't I get anything done? I'm so lazy. I'll just put it off until tomorrow. Like I always do. I'm a terrible partner, parent, friend. What's actually happening is our body physiology has gone into a sympathetic freeze state. This is autonomic and involuntary. It's not about willpower or being a lazy person. Again, consider this perspective for those of you who have trauma histories, who have severe anxiety. Um, and it goes on to say, when our body goes into fees, a freeze, our sympathetic nervous system doesn't allow us to push through. And instead, the body goes into hibernation state. In freeze, our body is conserving energy to survive a threat. In freeze, we feel 
completely exhausted or drained even after plenty of sleep. We can feel apathetic with a lack of motivation. Immobilized in couch lock, detached from our body. Our thoughts of hopelessness or shaming keep us locked in this cycle because we feel more threatened and in danger. How to get out of freeze. There's three different um, things that she recommends. Identify that your body is in a freeze state rather than the narratives about being lazy. Identify that your body is in a threat state attempting to protect you. Two, focus on bottom-up practices, which will allow slowly help the body slowly get out of freeze. And examples of this would be walking, which is the easiest and most accessible. Deep belly breathing and grounding exercise also help using your senses like I've talked about in past um, podcasts. Set yourself up to thaw. Getting out of freeze means setting yourself up to slowly widen your nervous system window of tolerance. Give yourself small tasks and do not require much effort. That do not require much effort and slowly complete them. I love that because so often people um, automatically assume that they have ADHD. And it's it's really something that you know, with anxiety, people become, and I myself included, become so distracted. And people who are who are anxious are are constantly distracted, and, and sometimes in fight or flight mode, in survival mode, and they get locked into that, which um, Doctor Lapera talks about uh, as well. So I strongly urge you, if you have anxiety or trauma history, or you think you have ADHD, consider that insight, um, because I think it's brilliant. Very often I'll get clients that, you know, have not been tested, um, or they haven't tested or have not been diagnosed with ADHD. Sometimes when people are diagnosed with ADHD, um, you know, finally, um, they, they feel depressed and anxious. Um, because think about it, you know, your productivity is procrastination is definitely a factor of ADHD, um, distractibility, uh, unable to complete tasks. This is, you know, an, an inability to focus. Sometimes people can't even read a whole page. I mean, how many of us have read a page to start a book and then or anything that we're reading and we have to reread and reread and reread? Um, so. You know, I want to say that there is a mood component sometimes that may not be a full-blown diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder or depression or any kind of um, actual diagnoses, but that, in fact, if you have ADHD and it's not treated and you're going through the school system, particularly inattentive type, because those are the people that are distracted staring out the window they look like they're daydreaming. They have a lot of anxiety. And a lot of times the ADHD is not caught. So they really slip through the cracks. Um, so it's really important um, because I feel like people really look online a lot. And I think that there's a lot of information, especially on Instagram, um, not not just Instagram, but 
you know, that really talks about like our friend uh, Cliff Weitzman and his, uh, his app, which I've mentioned a few times before, Speechify. We actually had a podcast with him. He suffers from severe, because he shared this with us and also on the podcast, severe dyslexia and also ADHD. So he's really, he really developed that app to help people with all these various techniques. I also say to my clients too, who do have ADHD and have a formal diagnosis of ADHD when I'm treating them, again, the tertiary uh, modality of treating depression, anxiety, and then, or bipolarity, anxiety, PTSD, however it, 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 it is layered, the ADHD is last. Furthermore, I always tell my clients who have ADHD, it's like, you know, you have to learn executive functioning skills alongside of, you have to strengthen your executive functioning system with skills and, um, you know, having an executive functioning aspect of your therapy. Um, I can't emphasize this enough. I feel like a lot of times people do go to therapy and they have a lot of things that they need to talk about and work through and develop coping mechanisms and, you know, kind of help with the evolution and become healthier people. But at the same time, with ADHD, I am saying this out loud from the rooftop that do, do, if you, if you're in a, like a, if you have ADHD and you're in like that place with therapy where you're not really working on a ton of stuff and you're kind of coasting um, and you're getting well, Ask your therapist to help you with executive functioning skills. Because like I said, I come back and I want to say just to all, all people out there with, the, with ADHD who get very frustrated when their medication runs out, when it, when it wears off, I mean. So I always say, you know, the only time you're not experiencing ADHD symptoms is when you're asleep. Um, basically, you know, I will medicate somebody who's a very high functioning person to, if they have a work, you know, like a, 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 a very, um, intense job. So if someone, you know, and I've seen clients get or report to me that their functioning level goes up and their ability to focus and then their anxiety goes down. And their shame spiraling goes down, like feeling bad about themselves because, and then of course, everyone, I feel like, um, not adolescents and kids so much, but, you know, adults always say, oh my God, I always knew this. You know, I always knew this. This is what I struggled with in school. I always had to, you may, you may have had decent grades or good grades even, but at the same time, you know, you, you struggled or you had to work. 10 times as hard as somebody else. Um, so, and then there's also, you know, then there's the hyperactive type. We all recognize these, these, um, people from school, you know, when we were growing up, we see people bouncing off the walls when you have like a very, um, I think in adulthood, it really is kind of obvious as well. People get, you know, they can become very impulsive and they interrupt a lot. Um, they, they, they can't help but interrupt. Um, I think that that's just too, you know, and and fidget and they can't sit still. Yeah. So those are the people that have, um, the hyperactive, um, the kids that are bouncing off the walls that are very disruptive in class, 
very often are, you know, have ADHD and they're not getting treatment for it. Um, again, you know, just bringing it back to how ADHD kind of, um, you know, interferes with mood. So, you know, even from one end, it's like you have to treat mood first, which that is the protocol. At the other end, you know, if you only have ADHD and you don't have any mood issues, then, you know, you're going to develop, you know, feelings of low self-esteem, depression, and anxiety because of, I would say, a depressive state, not really, you know, a a full-on diagnosis, like I said before. So, you know, we'll, we'll treat ADHD in various different ways. Um, you know, I use a lot of bupropion at first round of treatment because um, it increases norepinephrine and dopamine in the in the prefrontal cortex of the brain. It's an FDA, although someone did disagree with me on the podcast, but they're wrong. It is FDA approved for major depressive disorder and also for ADHD and attentive type. Um, so, that being said, for someone who comes to you who's depressed and has ADHD and no anxiety, bupropion can be a really good option. Again, I'm not treating anybody. I'm just educating people about medication options. Um, the other uh, medication that's out there, atomoxetine, also known as Stratera, that is also a non-stimulant, just like bupropion treatment for ADHD inattentive type. It definitely helps with anxiety. So my people who have anxiety haven't been on a stimulant before. There's a good chance that they can, you know, people can respond well to uh, medications like bupropion and um, atomoxetine, Stratera. Um, so that being said, sometimes people use uh, 10X, also known as guanfacine, that is also FDA approved for ADHD. Um, it really helps with um, the attentional system. Like I said, it kind of keeps people calm and focused, just like in their body, calm and focused. More often, I feel like I would probably add that to someone who was more hyperactive or combined. Um so, you know, you have a kid that's bouncing off the walls or in it. And I, again, I don't treat children, so I don't want to say this. Like, I'm just educating you about medication options. So those three are kind of the non, non-stems. Now, moving to the stimulants, um, they're basically three families that I work with. And I'm sure there are specialists out there. I do not specialize in this area, but I do treat it. Um, Specialists out there probably use a lot of different fancier, maybe, you know, uh, but this is generally the pool that I draw from. There's dexoamphetamine, uh, Adderalls, uh, methylphenidate, that's the Ritalin family, and then there's Vyvanse, less dexphetamine. I always, uh, <laughs> I always uh, stutter when I say that one, but um, it is, it is, um, all three are stimulants. Um, there are stimulants that are immediate release, and those are, you know, like um, usually I will start somebody between 5 and 10 milligrams twice a day. If I'm introducing them to a stimulant, um, I will have them get an EKG that shows a normal sinus rhythm so that there's no pre-existing arrhythmia. Um, sometimes people with structural heart history issues uh, can be negatively impacted by a stimulant, so always check with your primary care. Or if you have a cardiologist, always ask them. 
um, and talk to your provider about um, those um, issues as well. Um, that's just sort of my um, protocol for before I add a stimulant. I always tell them, all right, if you're drinking Red Bulls, stop drinking Red Bulls. Um, you know, don't, you know, be mindful of the coffee you drink. Try to drink decaf or cut your coffee, you know, kind of in half. Um, maybe have one cup instead of three um, because that coffee is a stimulant. Um, so, you know, that is, I usually introduce the immediate release because that can wash out of the body. Sometimes I keep people on immediate release if they sparse their medication out, if they just need it for studying or if they just need it for class, um, if they need it for exams. So there are people who don't want to take it all the time. Um, you can take vacations from it. You don't have to take it every day specific to ask your provider, I'm not treating you. But those medications, including the extendeds, don't have to be taken every day. Um, but again, if you're on a high dose, you don't want to just stop that. Sometimes it's easier to kind of bump down and kind of slowly taper on a lower dose if that is needed. Um, but <clears throat> anyway, so and then the so then there's the extended releases that we will switch someone to. Um, there's a lot of, uh, abuse, um, not with any of my clients and probably not with many of yours, but there's street value to the stimulants on, on the street. They, I, I mean, especially now that Adderall is pretty much hard, impossible to get, get, um, from a pharmacy. Um, there, there is street value to these medic medications. And I always tell my clients, if it's lost or stolen, there's nothing I can do. The DEA, regulates these medications. Um, they are all recorded with the DEA. Um, you know, when you fill it, how much you're prescribing, who prescribes it, where you're getting it from the pharmacy. So all of us, before we, um, you know, prescribe, we have to check PMP, prescription Mon monitoring website, to make sure they're not getting Adderall from anywhere else. Again, I'm, I'm talking about people who you know, doc shop in our med seekers. Um, they also do it with, um, you know, any controlled substance, but, um, that's addiction and that's a whole different sec section. Vyvanse, um, that's a whole other, sometimes oh, in Europe, I have had clients that have had to, that have gone to, gone abroad, um, and they have ADHD and they need their medication um, not all countries honor that. Um, a lot of countries consider Adderall, um, it's just not, they don't prescribe it. Um, so uh, it's kind of difficult for people to take it into another country and get it through customs sometimes. Um, but anyway, again, if that happens, you just contact the university that you're going to and speak to your provider and communicate how do I how am I going to be able to continue treatment? I always tell my clients if they're going abroad for six months to a year, before you go, connect with a university um, a provider. Um, and I would I always send people to like the counseling centers at their university. Um, be very clear, you know, if you have like a counselor there or somebody, your person that you are connected with in guidance, um, ask them is there a provider there? How can you connect me with a provider that's appropriate for my care? Um, regardless of what you're taking and regardless of the situation. So if it's depression, anxiety, 
Uh, most of us can't send medication across the ocean. So we don't usually, uh, we aren't licensed outside of the country. We aren't li licensed outside, nurse practitioners are not licensed outside of their state unless they are licensed in other states. Um, I believe medical doctors can prescribe over state lines. I think that happens very often, um, but uh, not out of the country. So um, kind of reeling back, I'm going to talk about Vyvanse, um, which is one of my favorite medicines, which is still a uh, trade, has not gone generic very stubbornly. It has been saying it's going, going uh, generic, but it just doesn't happen. Uh, I don't know. Um, we're all kind of waiting with bated breath, us providers out here, because, you know, it is a wonderful medication. It's a nice option. It's extended. It's in capsule form. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a nice, it's a, it, it, it has a nice range of milligrams, um, in terms of treatment throughout the day because it's extended and, um, it's, it's less, people are less able to abuse it. Um, so a lot of people who do have kind of a background, um, where they have a tendency to reach for maybe stimulants, um, habitually, um, it might be a better fit for that person um, to not, you know, so that they can't mess with it and um, misuse it. So um, that's an excellent medication. Um, not all insurances cover it. Sometimes it requires a prior authorization by your provider. And prior authorization means that we, we have to fight with your insurance companies and we have to prove that you've, you know, uh, you need this medication and here's why. Um, that's a whole other episode, and it would probably be very boring to you. Um, but ADHD is real. Um, and also, I want to say stimulants are also used as adjunct therapy. I don't know so much now, but I know, you know, the generation of providers before me. Um, I did inherit a lot of clients that had Adderall on board when they did not carry the diagnosis of ADHD, but because they had severe depression. Um, and sometimes that will help a client get out of bed in the morning and function if their depression is, um, is, is extremely like severe. Um, I'm pretty sure I've covered everything that I wanted to say. Um, again, um, processing speed, sometimes, uh, people just, uh, Vyvanse is also, um, uh, FDA approved for, uh, binge eating disorder. So if you have a binge eating disorder and you have ADHD and you've been formally diagnosed with that, that could talk to your provider about that being a potential, you know, I'm always, I'm conservative. So I like to prescribe medications that do two things at once or even three things at once, like mirtazapine does anxiety, depression, and insomnia. Um, just to give an example of a three for medication, um, but, uh, that, thank you for listening. Um, I feel like this is a very important, uh, subject. Um, it's not always emotional and I don't think people have as much stigma attached to ADHD, to be honest. Um, I think I focus more on the stigmatism of mental health. Um, and, but also I want to I wanted to also kind of tie in, you know, the protocols and also the overlap and also, you know, chicken or the egg, uh, you know, having anxiety and, um, and struggling because you have ADHD that is not being treated. Um, God bless you all. Um, 
thank you. I'm very grateful to you. And um, thank you very much for motivating us. Um, and we have the deepest gratitude. And um, I wish you all well. And I'm sending you love and light. Thank you. Oh, you ram going on. Very nice job. So uh, just kind of back a little bit what Julie said, you know, especially with that inattentive type, because I do test uh, children and adolescents, and I, I see this a lot um, with the inattentive type that, <clears throat> you know, the hyperactive type, and I'm generalizing here, and the combined type, they're usually getting the attention of teachers, school nurses, down the principal's office because they're so behaviorally dysregulated, motorically dysregulated. But a lot of these kids with the inattentive type, um, they're labeled as daydreamers, uh, unmotivated, uh, lazy, uh, not caring, sometimes even oppositional, which really, you know, you hear that from an adult or a teacher uh, in, in the developing sense of self. I've seen enough cases where kids become depressed because of it, and they become and sometimes without without the proper diagnosis and treatment, the amount of time that they're spending to get their work done. I think with all three of the ADHD types, you know, they're 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 trying the best they can, but the out the input that they're putting in does not match the output. So where they may may be fully capable of getting A's and B's, or they're getting C's and D's, they're on no one's radar. Because they're showing up every day. They're not they're not bad kids. And I'm not talking about the oppositional kids, but they are unfairly di- unfairly labeled as being problematic. Um, and I've had I've had enough families say, well, they well they they say it's a family problem. Yeah, in some cases it is a family problem. Um, you know, there'd be whatever dynamics might be going on. But uh, I, I do think it, there is. I agree with Julie. There's not as much stigma. Uh, although I did have one person a few years ago who was very upset that I diagnosed her with ADHD. Um, the only person who's ever complained, a lot of people, when they get the diagnosis and they're like, oh my God, great, I can go on the magic pill. But the misconception is, as Julie said, the stimulants, the non-stimulants, they may help improve your attentional regulation, but they do not teach you the skills. They do not teach you organization and planning and sequencing, time management. They don't do that. They will help you pay attention. But that's why it's really important to work with your therapist um, or other treatment providers in in really developing a structured system of how to navigate uh, the attentional dysregulation. And yes, it can be diagnosed in adults. Oftentimes, it's the inattentive type. Not always. Sometimes it's the hyperactive type where the wife says, just please go get tested. You're driving me up a wall. You start 8 million projects. You never finish anything. And yeah, it turns out to be ADHD. Um, So... Definitely a relevant diagnosis. Um, again, this stemmed just from a conversation Julie and I had uh, over the weekend about the number of people that I actually test that think they have ADHD that really they don't. And it's something else like a depressive disorder, an anxiety disorder, uh, OCD, something else. So, um, you know you know what I'm going to say next? Get a full neuropsych eval to know what it really is because you really have to rule out, like Julia said, that, that mood component because going on the stimulant uh, prior to if there's something mood-related can really have an, a, a negative and potentially paradoxical and dangerous side effect. So uh, hopefully this was informative and uh, it's such a relevant topic in the United States, and I realize it's also a relevant topic in other parts of the world. 
Um, but it is a neurodevelopmental disorder, which means you were born with it. You don't develop it. You know, I've had people say, well, I think I caught ADHD. No, you don't catch ADHD. It's not like COVID. Um, you're born with it and you develop it. And it does tend to level out as people get older because they've learned compensatory mechanisms for how to manage the intentional dysregulation. So, uh, as always, uh, Julie and I are, are looking forward to meeting a lot of people from different parts of the country and the globe. Um, happy to do presentations, uh, to travel to your, your hometown or, uh, come out to whatever, whatever country you're in and, uh, do a, you know, question and answer or plan out a specific series on whatever topics, uh, you guys would like to, uh, to learn about. So, uh, we appreciate the invitations that we have so far. Uh, looking forward to traveling. Um, obviously, Bruce Springsteen's coming to town on the 20th, so Julie and I are going to Boston for the weekend. And then going to see him back in Chicago, so I'll be able to go back home, which is going to be nice because I'll get to be able to um, see my father's grave, which, you know, this is a tough month for me because this was the month he got diagnosed with um, terminal cancer. Uh, his birthday was this month, and there was the only time of the year that I ever took off work. And also, um, this was the uh, month that he passed away on the 30th. So it's a tough month for me emotionally, but um, I have a wonderful family and amazing wife and support system and my family back home. So um, we will continue to do our best uh, to provide you with the best quality of education and knowledge that we can. So feel free to reach out to me at Psychology Today. You can email me directly at psychologyunpluggedoutlook.com. You can contact me directly at 617-750-9411, East Coast Standard Time in the United States. Until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and be well. Bye, guys.